The Real Food Reel is proudly sponsored by Melrose Health. Founded in 1979, Melrose Health has been delivering improved health over three decades by developing natural, delicious and innovative health foods from the best natural and organic ingredients. Their healthy kitchen oils range has just launched and includes my favourites, liquid coconut oil, grass-fed ghee and avocado oil. Visit melrosehealth.com.au or check out at Melrose Health on Instagram to learn more. Welcome to The Real Food Real. I'm Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist. We're shaking things up on the podcast and each week I am joined by our cast of experts, including Kirsty Worth, Phil Maffetone, Kale Brock, Ali McLean, Katie Pettuccini, and so many more leaders in the fields of real food, gut health, sports performance, holistic wellness, and optimizing your health, metabolism, and longevity. While you're tuning into today's episode, would you take a screenshot of your smartphone and share it on social media with the hashtag RealFoodReal? I'd absolutely love to know that you're tuning in. And while you're there, why not share this episode with a friend who also needs to hear our information goldmines and aha moments. Sharing the show means we can continue our mission of simplifying nutrition and showing the world that health starts with what you choose to put on your plate. Without further ado, let's dive into this week's episode of The Real Food Real. In episode 196 of The Real Food Real, we are joined by Maz Compton, one of Australia's foremost radio personalities and entertainment reporters. Maz joins the show to share with us her latest project, The Social Rebellion. The Social Rebellion is a movement that will empower you to become aware of your own choices, assess your relationship with alcohol, and make a positive change. Let's dive straight in. Hello, Maz, and welcome to the show. Oh, hi. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat to you. Me too. It's your first time on the show. So please introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us a little bit about what you've been up to. Well, I like long walks on the beach, on the side <laughs> Love it. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, it's really hard to kind of give a highlights package of my career and my mm. life because I've done, I feel like I've lived about nine lives. <laughs> but basically, I, my background is in media. So I've been hosting radio and television shows since I was in my mid-20s. And the reason why I kind of got into media in the first place is because when I was 15, actually, Steph, a long time ago, I decided that I wanted to be on MTV because I was living in America at the time. I did a school exchange program. And so from being in the US and, you know, the land of opportunity, I came up with this half-baked idea that I would be a VJ in Australia on MTV, which didn't actually exist at the time. Um, But I was really persistent and um, MTV eventually launched in Australia and and through much rejection (laughs) and, you know, some curveballs, I actually ended up auditioning for MTV and I got my job. So I, yeah, in my mid-20s, landed my dream job and my life from there just really changed quite quickly. My job was really 
to host parties, hang out with celebrities and travel the world. It was terrible. I hated it. (laughs) (laughs) It was so amazing. And from there, after doing that, and it, it was, it was this equal part, super glamorous, but also super exhausting because I think people like the idea of travel for work a lot, but there is something about being at home in your own bed every night that's quite comfortting and I think we're all I think we're intrinsically um, creatures of comfort so it kind of messes with your circadian rhythms when you're on a plane every two weeks and you know and out late and living the the high life as I was so after a number of years in tv I love a challenge and I thought you know I've kind of done all there really is to do in tv at this part of my life so why not try radio? And I, again, through a lot of meetings and networking and rejection, I, I managed to get offered a night's radio show just to kind of test the waters and see if I enjoyed it. And I loved it and it happened that I was quite good at talking from all that TV experience and I kind of transitioned over from television into radio and then I spent the next seven years carving out a pretty epic radio career. So I ended up hosting the National Drive Show in Australia, which is probably, I mean, it's really the bee's knees as far as radio gigs go. And then I got um, promoted from that to the Sydney Breakfast Show. So career-wise, over the last sort of, you know, 10, 12, 15 years, um, I have experienced like all I think that one could hope to experience in in the guise of a media career so that's I guess basically what's kept me quite busy for the last 15 odd years yeah (laughs) so good though such a great you know I guess diversity of experience and you obviously got to the point where you achieved all those goals so then your career took a little change of direction into more writing Yeah, so at the end of um, my radio contract, in it was the end of 2016, I decided that it was a similar conversation I had with myself when I decided to move away from TV. I was like, you know what, I think I've done all there is that I can do in this season and in this chapter. Like you can't really top, um, I guess, the career trajectory that I had. I I probably at the time thought I'd be hanging around in radio land for a, a few more years. Um, but that's, you know, that's the cutthroat world of media. So I decided that I would just step away at that point from radio and focus on my writing. And I was also at the end of 2016, um, I had done nearly, well, pretty much two years of a journey of not drinking, which kind of really, um, is wrapped up in the whole reason I got to the point of my life where I decided I didn't want to drink anymore is all wrapped up in that whole career that I was talking to you about previously because, you know, we, and I don't think it's just, um, I don't think it's just media and I don't think it's just contained to like highly glamorous appealing jobs. I think it's most corporate workplaces have a culture of intense binge drinking and it's so wrapped up in our work culture our identity in the workplace our future careers um and I found myself in situations during my career where I was like oh the boss just bought another bottle of expensive champagne I I cannot not sit here and indulge that because they're my boss and there's all these weird little undertones 
that kind of mask your decisions. Um, and when you do that for long enough, all of a sudden you just drink all the time and you don't know why. So backtracking to where I was explaining that I jumped out of radio and I jumped into writing, I decided to write the story of why I decided to stop drinking, how I managed to get it under control, um, why I didn't identify as an alcoholic, but I wasn't really sober either, <laughs> and hopefully in the bid to help other people. So I started writing a book at that point. Yeah, cool. I really want to dive in and explore, yeah, I guess what the catalyst was for you as well. Um, I was doing a little bit of research on your Facebook page earlier. Um, <laughs> That's just I, called, I was just on Facebook. I know, right? Research, <laughs> quote, unquote, with my little air quotes as I sit here. Um, yeah. I can't find it now, but it was a really funny statement about the person with the soda water, but they were still wearing their pants. Do you remember it? <laughs> yes. I loved I it. Said, I said this on another podcast, actually. Okay. I was talking about the concept of rebellion. And so my book is called The Social Rebellion. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason why I kind of came up with that idea is because I have felt like a rebel in society for the last nearly four years that I haven't drunk alcohol yet I'm still a functioning member of society and not <laughs> Whoa, a stop I the know. news. <laughs> I know it's it blows people's minds so I was explaining that I identify as a rebel and a rebel is someone that is going against the establishment so the rebel in the room if you're at a bar, is the person sitting in the corner with a soda water with their pants still on. (laughs) I just think it's hilarious. I love it. The most rebellious person in that environment. The irony. Mm. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. So cool. We'll talk about the book. Absolutely. But what was the like epiphany that you wanted to stop drinking? Yeah. So it was in the year 2014 and I, so to paint the picture, I was on the National Drive show. My face was on billboards all around the country and I was on a plane every three weeks for my job. So no pressure, (laughs) you know, (laughs) not a huge undertaking at all, you know, filling some quite large shoes of our former hosts on the show who you may know. Um, they're, they're a duo called Hamish and Andy. <laughs> May have heard of them. Yes. You know, so yeah, we got their old job, whatever. <laughs> so <laughs> I was in this amazing year of my career with, with a very intense amount of pressure. And I would say it was 50% pressure of the job and 50% pressure of myself trying to be perfect which I think a lot of women who are listening to this may identify with trying to you know show up and have it all and wake up like this and do all the stuff that we we do as women um so I I feel like I was under a lot of pressure and I just noticed this trend in my life in 2014 where I would just drink alcohol all the time so I found myself saying things like this to myself like Oh, it's Carly's birthday on the weekend. Oh, I really don't want to go and drink, but oh, well, what choice do I have? And I didn't think for a second that that's an insane statement. I just accepted the fact that I couldn't socialize in the environments that I had been accustomed to without drinking. 
But I had a couple of red flag moments. That was one of them, Carly's birthday, because I remember thinking I should be able to go to my friend's birthday party and not drink alcohol. So either I can't not drink alcohol, which is a me problem, or I feel like I can't not drink alcohol because of everybody else's opinion, which is also a me problem. So I thought to myself, maybe I have a drinking problem. And so in the middle of that year, I actually sat down and Googled, am I an alcoholic? Because I wasn't sure. And this isn't because I was at rock bottom, um, falling down into gutters, vomiting everywhere and being an absolute Losing mess. your pants. <laughs> I had I my pants, your pants. <laughs> well intact. <laughs> and and I, was, I actually had my life really together. And on paper, I was crushing it. So what was happening on paper in my life and what I was feeling, there was a huge disconnect because I thought if I am in this season of success and brilliance and um, privilege, why do I feel like such crap? And why can't I get through a week without either having a good or a bad day to the point where I'm like, oh, I should have a glass of wine because I had a good day or a bad day or my boss was nice or my boss was a jerk or there was always an excuse or reason where I would go and grab a glass which would turn into a bottle or take a bottle over to a friend's house or it was just alcohol was in my world so much it became slightly alarming. So when I Googled am I an alcoholic, I read the AA manifesto and I was like, well, okay, I'm not an alcoholic. I absolutely don't identify with that. Um, My alcoholism has not become... I don't feel powerless under a, under a disease at all and it hasn't become, my life has not become unmanageable. So that's um, how AA identify whether or not you, you are an alcoholic or you identify as alcoholic and that wasn't my story. So I was like, okay, I don't think AA is the solution and then, then I was at a real loss. So I'm like, well, what else is there? Like there's no grey area here. You're either an alcoholic and you go to AA and you can never drink again or or what? Like what do we do? So I kind of started just toying with the idea of like maybe I should have some time off alcohol and do like, you know, a one-month or a three-month challenge and there, there were, you know, um, like I'd read, I guess, when you get into that world of sobriety, there's really great resource online. And I'm like, oh, there's communities that do that. Maybe that's a thing that I can do. Then the real, real catalyst came in early September of that year when one of my best friends suddenly passed away. And the grief really threw me. Mm-hmm. I don't know how, I don't know if you can ever, ever prepare to lose someone that you love so much. Um, and so that I think was the catalyst. If you want me to identify the exact moment that I went, okay, I now am in a position where I have lost something so dear to me. What legacy am I going to leave on this planet? Like how it just reshapes everything in your, um, immediate life. And so I made some really solid decisions during the grieving process for my friend. And I was like, I'm definitely going to see what my life might look like if I don't drink alcohol for a month. And I decided that I'd stop on the 1st of January 2015. And then in that first month, on day 22, my brain felt new again. And I started having clarity that I hadn't felt probably in my adult life. And I started sleeping better. And so I started making better food choices. And I'd always been very fit. 
But I, I don't know, I just started having this love affair with nature where I was like, I want to be outdoors and I want to breathe in this air. And my senses changed. I could literally smell the roses. Whereas before I couldn't really because everything was kind of dull and foggy. So in that first month, I had such incredible change in my life that empowered me. I thought, let's go for three months and see how we go. And then four years later, wow. <laughs> I haven't had a drink of alcohol. And, and I don't know that I will, but if I did, I'd be good with it. And because it would be my empowered choice to do that. Um, but like right now in this season of my life, I just don't care for it because I have, I have really managed to redefine my relationship with alcohol and that's the whole cause of the social rebellion because I feel like there's a lot of people that identify with the story of, yeah, I probably drink a little bit too much and a little bit too often but and I'm not hurting anybody but I also am not doing myself any favours and it's a slippery slope. And if, when you start getting into your 30s and then your 40s, it's, it only gets harder and harder to manage. Oh, yeah. I totally agree. Like we, you know, I work with clients and in their initial consultation, we always talk about how many drinks they have. And it's a really sensitive area when they find out that technically it's like two to four standard drinks a week and they have that epiphany of how big a standard drink actually is. Well, yeah. So for anyone listening, (laughs) one standard drink is one and a half glasses of wine. So if you are saying two to four standard drinks a week is what we should be capping it at, that's like two glasses of wine and you're done, sister. And you not know, like and a goldfish bowl glass either, right? <laughs> no, no. A standard glass of, of wine is 1.5 standard drinks. Even that education around that is massive because a lot of people and no judgment because I am not in a position to judge anybody, but I do have this conversation with people a lot and they're like, yeah, I have a bottle of wine and I, and that was my story too. And when you put that into the context of what the world health organization suggests that we do with our alcohol consumption, it is astronomically different, the real story that's happening. And so there's, there's a big education piece around alcohol consumption in our society that we that I am trying to shift yeah it's amazing I love that it started from your own personal journey and obviously there's so many benefits of even just doing a one month break so that's something that you share in the social rebellion yeah I actually have a list of 31 benefits in 31 days because I because I took January off it was 31 days Mm -hmm. Um, and I've written a blueprint for people that want to do it. So I do go day by day um, through a 31-day kind of program with people who want to redefine their relationship with alcohol. And um, I do have people say, like, why can't, you know, why, why didn't you just cut down or moderate? Or, like, I'm a 100% or 0% person. Like, I'm either in or out. So for me it was I'm going to cut this thing out fully and then see how I can come back to it in a manageable way. And then the other thing with, because alcohol is the most addictive, addictive substance on the planet, it, moderation really doesn't work in the long run. I think you really have to completely put it aside and then work out what your relationship is with it. Because if the thought of not drinking for a week terrifies you to your bones, you probably have an alcohol dependency. Mm. And that's not to label anyone and to make anyone feel like crap. That's just to say that's real life and where you're at today and it's your responsibility to redefine that. The best way to redefine it 
is to put it to one side and see how you go. Yeah, I think that's awesome. And it's it's a great place to start. And similar to what you did, it's like, all right, well, actually, I feel this good. I'm going to keep going. And I think for people to be able to break it down into a small chunk, like one month, is something they can wrap their head around rather than saying three months or longer or never. And it's not about, I'm never drinking again. It's not about making these crazy, outrageous vows for the rest of your life. It's about management. And I think like the older I get, the more I realize everything in life is about relationships. And so I had to redefine my relationship with alcohol and treat it like a relationship. Um, And I do this really cool exercise when I go into corporate workplaces and talk about alcohol consumption on Friday afternoon at 3 p.m., which is hilarious, (laughs) Um, is I say to people, um, I give them a a quick written exercise and I say, I want you to write down on this piece of paper and it's not to be posted on Facebook so you don't have to, you know, use fancy words and make it look pretty and impress everybody. This is just real and raw for you. But articulate your relationship with alcohol like it was a human being and then let's talk about that person. So for me, at the time, four or so years ago, alcohol, I thought alcohol was my best friend but my alcohol, but my relationship with alcohol hurt me every single day but I couldn't live without it but I hated it but I wanted it but it hurt me and it was this really abusive cycle. Now, if I was talking about a human being that I was in a relationship with and I said that to you, you would be like, hey, sweetheart, you need to get out of that relationship. And it just gives everyone, I guess, this kind of like marker to go, oh, okay, if if we look at alcohol like a person, how much is it hurting me and how much am I okay with that hurting me? That was kind of stuff that I figured out after I hadn't had a drink for a year and I was trying to articulate the process that I'd been through with breaking up with alcohol permanently. That's kind of how I articulated it. And it seems to make sense. It was also quite terrifying for a lot of people when they do that. Um, but, yeah, that was, a way, that was one of the ways that I wrapped my head around um, figuring out what was going on in my world at the time in 2014. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting way to look at things. I'd love for you to talk about how you do refer to alcohol as a currency. I know you mentioned earlier about sort of different emotions or when we might have a drink to say celebrate or commiserate, but I'd love you to dive in deeper and explain that more to us from a currency standpoint. Yeah, so I guess there's two there's two ways to break that down. So the first is corporately. So um, when I worked in MTV, severely underpaid, but I definitely got a lot of free alcohol at the bar. (laughs) And it was like that was sometimes your payment for doing a really good job was the free bar. And so it it became your, your value at work, your worth. It became your work ethic. And so that I think is dangerous. And, but I think it's very, very common where we, as a corporate, reward staff for doing a good job with alcohol. I think we can come up with a better reward that's not going to hurt people or um, enable people to get out of control and inappropriate or go home and start a fight or stay out too late and get in an argument. You know, there's so many things that alcohol becomes the catalyst for that is negative. I don't know that using it as a reward system in the workplace is our best bet. 
And then the other thing I think, and it kind of stems from that, is the reward system we use for our own selves with alcohol, where we use it as this currency for ourselves. So for me, for example, I used to always say, I deserve it. I've had a really bad week. I deserve a drink. I've had a really awesome week. I deserve a drink. Um, My friend just got engaged. We deserve a drink. Um, My friend just got dumped. We should go and drink, right? So for every like positive and negative life experience, the reward or the excuse um, was the same. That was one of my biggest red flags. And I think it's a really, I think it's, drilled into us from a young age because society uses alcohol as such a thing to engage people to make help people feel less anxious socially so they can have a conversation and I guess the where I'm coming from now is I believe we're all capable of engaging with other human beings of being in social situations and facing our fears stone cold sober and why are we so terrified of that? What's so scary about not being sober and present and clear in every given moment in life? And I can only say this so certainly because I've been through that whole experience from at the beginning of 2015, like I don't actually think I can do 31 days without a drink. I really thought it was a physically impossible challenge for myself. And I've gone through so many expressions of figuring all of that out that I now can say it's a dangerous currency that we use with ourselves that I think we can do a little bit better with. And it probably is, you know, quite closely related to the way that it's treated and it's used in a social and in a corporate sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think though, you know, you would have had some some challenges initially because essentially it's a behavior, right? So we're forming these new habits around our relationship with alcohol, but definitely socially because that's where it comes up quite a lot. So do you have any significant experiences you, you can share about that first month or what happened in the initial phase when I guess other people were adjusting to you being sober? Yeah, I think the for the first month the difficult part wasn't not drinking i found it was just telling people that i yeah. wasn't drinking oh that was the most challenging part mm. so i had like grown human beings yell at me <laughs> when i said i wasn't drinking it was quite strange what do you mean yell like, at yeah, you like literally yell in my face like you are letting the team down that's unacceptable compton or like you're such a party pooper why are you being such a loser? Um, that's really lame. Just so, so much abuse. It was, it was almost comical. Um, so the first, and this, this was not my inner sanctum of friends, by the way. This was like, you know, that greater, um, like that broader social element of being out and about in public and bars and parties and blah, blah, And at that season in my life too, I think I, I still went, out socially because I didn't want to be sitting at home in my pajamas at 6 p.m. on a Friday. <laughs> I, I actually was a social or am a social being and so, well, I thought I was. And so I wanted to still be out and kind of, I guess, really challenge myself. It's like, can I get through a month of being, of not changing my schedule, all the events I need to go to for my work commitment 
um, show up for my friends and the things that they want to celebrate or commiserate, but be sober. Can I do that? That was the challenge. So I would encourage anyone that does take some time off to still be present in your friendships, like, because they're really important and your friendships will end up, the ones that are important will stay around and you'll redefine your friendship on a different grounding. So the friends that I used to go out and drink wine, like my girlfriends who used to just go out and have wine all afternoon on a Saturday, like we pretty much have brunch and go for a walk now. And we're still super close and we still hang out as often, but we just do it in a different day part under different circumstances. It actually has benefited a lot of my friendships because they're real friendships now. It's not just founded on like that great night out that no one can remember what happened, <laughs> but apparently it was the best night ever. And the conversations that you have like yelling over music, which is hardly, you know, very authentic or able, like enabling you to connect with your friends. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so it was it was really tough for the first little while. Um, but then I guess people just figure it out after a while and I think everyone just realised, oh, you know what, Maz isn't drinking, that's cool. And so everyone just got a little bit more on board. And, and even still today, I, I could go to like, you know, my local bar and catch up with friends for drinks. And there, there would usually be maybe like one person who I don't know very well who would do a round of drinks and go, what are you having? And I'm like, oh, just a water, thanks. I'm like, what, really? Just a water? I'm like, yeah, I don't drink alcohol. I've had a drink for four years. Probably not going to start with you right now. <laughs> and, you know, they, they kind of, I don't know, they just have this really like, oh, really? kind of thing and then and then it just gets dropped and I change the subject and ask them about their Instagram or something you know people love talking about themselves that worked a a treat actually like turn the conversation on to for somebody to talk about themselves rather than talking about you that's a winner that's a good tip (laughs) good strategy (laughs) yeah fascinating I just think it's so interesting because yeah people do look at you like you have two heads do you know what I think it is though um and I, I articulate this in the book. I, I really think what, and this is obviously, you know, my experience, so I can only say what I've observed, but I really think when you do something like stop drinking, when it's so commonplace, like 90% of adult humans drink and a lot of them drink a lot too much, um, I think what you do is you hold a mirror up to the other person. And I think if they're not comfortable with their relationship with alcohol, that's when you get the interesting reactions because they don't know how to handle that because you're you're not doing it directly but you're kind of questioning them if if you're able to go hey i've risen above this thing and it's not a thing for me anymore that they're taking it t- they're taking an issue because you're making them feel out of sorts because you're not comforting them by doing the same behavior and as i said before we we're, we're creatures of comfort and so if I'm going to make a stand and do something different, it's going to make everyone that doesn't feel okay about that feel really uncomfortable. That's what I think it does. I, I really think it holds a mirror up and some people aren't ready to look in the mirror. I completely agree. And I actually have this conversation in, in similar areas of health with a lot of people that I work with because, you know, eating healthy makes some people feel uncomfortable and they make you feel like they put you down for your food choices. And I, yeah, I agree with you. I think being alcohol free is making them feel like, yeah, they've got, they've either got an issue or they can't do it or yeah, it's that exact mirror that they probably need to look in. 
yeah, that's honestly, the more conversations I've had with people about it, I, I really believe that that is a, a really good way of viewing it. And that also for me helped because then I realized it's not actually about me and my choices. It's the other person's problem. And so that gave me relief that I, it's like, no, I'm okay to make this choice for me and be empowered by it. If someone else is taking issue with my personal decision for my life, guess who has the problem here? Mm -hmm. It's definitely not me. Yeah. Amazing. I love it. Such an important conversation, as you say. What would you say um, are some red flags for someone listening that might be identifying with or starting to think about their relationship with alcohol? If you're listening to this, drinking a glass of wine, probably. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> number one. Mm-hmm. Number one. I think, I mean, there's tons of them. I think if, pe- uh, if, if you don't get hungover, I think that's a red flag because it means your body's so used to having poison in it that it doesn't make you feel ill anymore. I think that's a huge red flag that your body is adapting to living with ethanol in it permanently. That's a problem. I think... Um, I mean, one that I, use, that I used to say all the time is I used to say, well, it relaxes me. Like alcohol makes me feel relaxed and I am very stressed and I lived in a very stressful, high-pressure environment. So for me, I needed to take the edge off my day. I think a lot of people could relate to that. That's a really big red flag because, first of all, your life should be manageable enough that you don't need to take the edge off. But sec- So I'd say instead of... Um, Instead of having all of that load on your plate and drinking alcohol, take some of the load off your plate so you oh, don't totally take the agree. edge off your day. Yes. Like don't, don't keep all of that junk in your life and then need something to help you forget about it. Yes. Take some of the junk out of your life and put the bottle of wine away. But the other thing with the relaxing part, and I'm not a scientist or a doctor or, or I have no medical qualification but I know that alcohol stops your brain working properly so it actually stops the neural pathways in your brain from getting to your body so when someone drinks alcohol and they and and I have experienced this where you instantly feel relaxed you're like ah like I've taken that edge off what What's happened is the stress, the pressure, whatever you're not coping with in life has not shifted. All that's happened is your brain stopped thinking and accessing your body. So nothing has changed except your brain stopped working. So when you get sober again, that problem, that load of pressure and that weight on your shoulders is still there. And so it's this myth that we tell ourselves that it relaxes you when it actually stops your brain working. And so And I always say this too, alcohol is not going to change your situation. It's just going to check you out of it temporarily. You know, like when I lost my job in at the end of 2015 and that was probably one of the days I was like, Ooh, glass of wine (laughs) would maybe make me feel slightly better right now. But I hadn't drunk for 10 months at the time and I wasn't about to start. But what I realized is like, even if I had a bottle of wine that night, I would still have woken up the next morning and I would not have gotten my job back. My, my circumstances were never going to change just because I changed my mental state temporarily with a poison. 
And so the whole relaxing thing for me, I think if you're using that language around your drinking is another really big red flag. That, I mean, that's just a couple. I go through a whole bunch in, in the book, but they're probably the two most common, I think. Yeah, fascinating. And I'm, I'm really excited. I think there's such there's so much more we can have about this conversation. There's so many more people that I think you'll inspire to make a change. I think, you know, it's something that has been probably the elephant in the room for some time. And there's been a huge shift in the real food movement and we're looking after our health and we're exercising more. But I think a lot of people are forgetting to look at what their alcohol consumption really looks like. So thank you. Yeah, and if you oh thanks. I mean, if you're looking at health holistically, alcohol shouldn't be a part of your diet at all. You know, if if you are working out at the gym or, or you know trying to keep a healthy, active lifestyle and eating whole foods, you smashing a couple of cans on the weekend is not in alignment with that holistic way of health. But I think that, as you just said, I I I don't think people get the connection yet. I certainly didn't. I, I used to do boot camp and yoga retreats and all this crazy health and wellness stuff and I was always quite fit and healthy, but I drank most days of the week. Like I look at that now and I'm like, that's really insane. Those two things don't align at all. And so, again, instead of training super hard the next day because you had three wines the night before, don't have the wine, still train super hard and you'll probably see a better result. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you for, I guess, being brave enough to take the first step. Um, and I'm sure it's amazing, you know, all the health benefits that you've personally experienced and now you get to encourage everyone else to do the same. So I just wanted to give you the space to share anything else that you wanted to and to definitely direct our listeners to where they can get their hands on a copy of The Social Rebellion and find out more about you. Oh, thanks. So you can get a copy of The Social Rebellion um, from my website, which is thesocialrebellion.com. Um, you can also follow us on Instagram. We're at The Social Rebellion. I think one thing that um, I'm really passionate about at the moment is I'm just hot on purpose. I've been hot on purpose for a couple of years now. And so I ask myself why I do things really regularly. And I think that's something that I really want to help people be able to do because if we just mindlessly go through life, chugging away, burning the candle at both ends, in and out of relationships, in and out of jobs, you know, and like staying out late and drinking because we need to feel relaxed because we've got all this stress. If we just go through life like that and you don't know why you're doing it, you're missing the whole point. And so one of the questions I asked myself when I wanted to stop drinking was why am I drinking in the first place? And I couldn't give you a reason. And that in itself was a big red flag. So I was like, I'm doing this behavior every day and I don't know what purpose it's serving me and it's not serving me well and it's not bringing me joy. So I use this filter on everything that I do in my life now of why. And if I, if I can articulate a purpose of empowerment, then I do it. And if it doesn't articulate a purpose of empowerment in either my or somebody else's life, I say no. And I'm really comfortable drawing that boundary, like putting that healthy boundary down to protect my time and my energy resources so that I can just concentrate on helping empower as many people as possible. Amazing. And you certainly are. Thank you for sharing the social rebellion with us today. And I definitely encourage everyone to get on board and start with that cheeky uh, month free from alcohol. Thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. It was lovely chatting with you.
Thank you again. And we'll talk to, talk to you again soon. Yes. Okay. Thank you so much for listening, team. Make sure you dive into the show notes over at thenaturalnutritionist.com.au forward slash podcast. Now, before you go, can I ask you a favor? I'd be so grateful if you would leave me a five-star review on iTunes. I personally read every review and comment and love hearing your aha moments and takeaways from each episode. Together, we can continue to spread the real food love. See you next time on The Real Food Real. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.